0: Well, it is good to worship with you today, and uh, please, if you're searching for us uh, on Facebook in particular, please be sure that you look for Eastside Church of God, Anderson, Indiana, because there is an Eastside Church of God, Saskatchewan, Canada, all right, and you might actually end up uh, with them, Uh, and, and their pastor talks a whole lot differently than I speak. I mean, I talk Mississippi, he speaks Canadian. It's a whole different language, all right? So, Uh, I'm driving home from an appointment over in Muncie a few days ago, uh, a couple of weeks actually, and and as I left, I'm on Highway 32, and for those of you who are from around here, you'll you'll understand what I'm about to say. I I leave Yorktown, and I'm headed toward Delville, when suddenly I see a sign. Now, I don't know if this sign's been there for a while, and I just never saw it, I, I, I I don't know, maybe it's brand new. Uh, maybe some of you passed it this morning on your, on your way here. But, but, but here's what the sign said. It said, last chance for gas before I-69. And there's a gas station in Delville that placed that sign there. And I just started dying laughing because I live here. And I know that at the intersection of Highway 32 and Interstate 69, just on the other side of the interstate, there are at least six gas stations. But on the east side, there's the one who had made the sign, all right? And, and so you know, if you're not from here and you're driving, you're like, oh, I gotta get gasoline, I gotta get gasoline. Now, I know it's Indiana, it's Highway 32. But here's what gets me. I mean, I grew up with my father and mother traveling in many, many places. My father would speak in lots of different camp meetings and revivals. And we lived at times in places like West Texas and Mississippi. And, and if you're in West Texas or you're in Oklahoma or you're in Kansas and it says last chance for gasoline, you stop and get the gasoline. Because you could end up, or my my oldest son went to his master's program in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I got on a Pennsylvania turnpike in the middle of a snowstorm. And I'm telling you, if there's a Pennsylvania turnpike and it says rest area or services, you stop. Because you don't know when the next opportunity to get off is. And and so as I saw that sign, and I'm laughing because you could get caught in that thinking, oh man, yeah, I'm going to get my gasoline before I don't have any opportunity. And it kind of became a symbol for me, a, a, an image, if you would, of the way so many of us live right now, because we don't really understand what God offers us. And in this series called More Than a Story, we're, we're looking at the parables, the stories that Jesus told, and there are a few things we've got to remember, because, because sometimes Sometimes we get all worked up about it's our last chance and we don't, we don't understand that the promise of God is, is just right on the other side of that. And so, remember if you would, those of you who've been with us the last few weeks, that there are a couple of things about understanding parables that were told in the first century when you live in the 21st century. And one of those is that you have to take into consideration the context in which Jesus told the parable i mean what setting is he at? The, the other the other thing is you have to take into consideration the things the people were were knowing before he told the parable what, what were their expectations what what did they think about it so this morning i want us to i want us to read a parable in the context and understand their considerations and understand what that would mean for us in 2023. Now, this is not a famous parable like the others that we've talked about. In fact, many of you may not have ever even heard this parable. It's recorded for us in Luke chapter 13. And what I want to do first is I want to I read for you the, the context in, in which Jesus told the parable. And I want us to think about our context and see where it might be similar. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 13. If you want to read a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you, in the the rack at the the bottom of the chair. Or if you want to just read along with us on the screens, or if you've got your digital device, you can can read along there. And we're going to start at Luke chapter 13, verse 1. Listen listen to the setting, the context of the parable. Uh, There were some present... At that very time, some people who were around Jesus, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. For those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, what are these people talking about? Well, you've got to know, historically, there, there's no other context, no other history setting or citing of these two events. But both of them represent a mindset that was involved in the people of the first century that many of us in the 21st century also wrestle with. Because here's here's the mindset. The mindset says if something bad happens to you, it's because you did something bad and you deserved it. And every time something bad happens, people are either looking for someone to blame or they're looking for someone to shame. And what these guys were doing when they came to Jesus was they're saying, hey Jesus, you know, you heard about this? This setting where where Pilate got these people who were in the middle of worship. They were making their sacrifices. Now, for those of you who have weak stomachs, this is a little bit of a gory story because these people were in, in Jerusalem in the temple and according to this passage, They were making their sacrifices, which means they've got the the lamb, they've got the pigeon, whatever it is that they can afford that they bought to bring in. They bought it from the people outside the temple, and they brought it in, and they're making their sacrifice, their animal sacrifice. When Pilate, the the, the overseer, the governor, the, the very one who would hold court over Jesus some years later, hears about it. We don't know what they did. We don't know if he was just trying to demonstrate his power. We don't get any of those reasons. What we know is what he did. And he went in and he had them killed in the temple while they're making their sacrifices. And he mixes their blood together. And what these people are asking Jesus when it says, and they came and told him about it is, they're saying, what did they do that was so bad? You heard about them. What did they do that was so bad? And Jesus, you heard his answer, right? He's like, are you saying that, they, that this happened because of the evil in their world? No, they're no different than you are. In fact, don't you remember the, when they were building the tower and the wall around Jerusalem at, near the pool of Siloam and it caved in because they didn't build it right and 18 people lost their life? Did those 18 people do something wrong? No, I tell you this. Every one of us has to repent. See, the reason I think that's so important for us to understand is because I still hear that logic now. I, mean, I still remember the first time I, I stood in a, in a hospital with a young couple whose child had died from sudden infant death syndrome. Little fella, less than a year old. And I remember, I remember the mom and the dad weeping and saying, but pastor, we did everything they told us to do. We took every class. We, we did everything that was right. Why, why did this happen? What did we do? And quite honestly, sitting there in the room, they began trying to tell me, could God be punishing us for? And they started listing things. I was never so glad in my life that I would had an understanding that, that sin in this world is not always that direct correlation of bad action to bad result. But that when you understand the full testimony of Scripture, when you understand the full counsel of Scripture, you understand that sin entered the world. Sin entered the world when Adam and Eve fell. When Adam and Eve said, you know what? This, th- th- we don't want to do it our way instead of the way God wants us to do it. And if you fully understand the scripture, then then you understand that Paul's referencing in Romans to the fact that the entire earth yearns for its salvation is a reference to the fact that we live in a fallen world. And no matter how perfect you are, and no matter how well you live, and no matter how well you follow all the rules, you still live in a place where someone, somewhere, something, somehow can cause you deep pain. Sometimes, sometimes we don't get it because we're so locked into a correlation between these people. If something bad happened to them, then they had to have done something bad. And that's what these people are bringing to Jesus. Because you've got to understand, we often misunderstand the source of our pain in life. We want somebody to blame, we want somebody to shame. We want to say, hey, we can box it all up over here, and here's why we do that, so we can explain it. Because if we can explain it and see what they did, then suddenly we're not vulnerable. But what Jesus says is, no. No, that's not it, y'all. He doesn't say y'all, but, but I added that. What he, what he says is, no, listen. All of us, all of us have to repent for the brokenness, all of us have to repent for the sinfulness, all of us come into this world and we live in this vulnerability and every one of us has to understand that there are some things, some things on the other side of the interstate. It's it's not really your last chance, but it's your last chance. And then he tells them this parable. It's an interesting parable. Listen, as I read it, since most of you have probably never even heard it. Again, in Luke 13, beginning at verse 6. And Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, the the guy in charge of the vineyard, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit off of this fig tree, and I have found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And the vine dresser answered him, sir, let it alone, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. You see, these people come asking this question, and Jesus tells this story. And unless you understand where the story came from and you understand how the people lived, you'll miss the fact that it's a story about grace and mercy, and love, because here's what was really going on. In, in, in Israel, in those days, when they planted vineyards, grape vineyards, where all the vines were, in the middle of the vineyards, they would also plant orchards. Orchards of fruit trees. The, the, the concept was that some of the fruit matured at one part of the year, other parts of the year, some of the rest of it matured. And so if you had kind of interwoven in between, you could always pull fruit, food, nourishment from that area. And the fig trees would be planted in an orchard type form and, and they would be planted in the midst of the, of the, of the grapevines, vines. And, and so that's why the vine dresser was also in charge of the fig tree. And, and when this man comes and he says, I mean, it's a simple statement. He says, hey, look, I, you know, for six, for six years, or for three years, I've been coming and there's been no fruit. Now, you have to understand, he wouldn't have even looked for fruit until after the third year. Because everybody who grew the vineyards knew that, that fig trees didn't produce fruit that you could actually eat until the third year. So this is, this is a man who's been patient, he's watched this tree grow. Now the tree has not not produced what it was designed to produce for six years. It's done nothing. Now, I I want you to to follow me for a minute. Why in the world is Jesus telling this parable in the midst of this question? Well, it's for two reasons. One is these people already knew a version of this parable. We'll talk about that in a minute. uh, The folklore of of Jewish history and knew about this parable from as, as much as the fifth century BC, it had been around. It was a common story that was told in the villages. But what Jesus does is he changes it, but he uses it to let us understand some principles about our last chance. The first thing you want you to know is this, you're the fig tree. And as a fig tree, you've been created for a purpose. I know that there are some of you who don't think you've got any purpose in your life. You think you're here by accident. You think, you think God's forgotten you, but here's what I want you to know. This parable tells you that even though your life may have been barren for a long season of time, even though you're not producing what you thought you would produce by this point in time in your life, the fact of the matter is you were born to be fruitful. You, you were created by God to be fruitful. But the question is, what kind of fruit were you created to have? Because we were all created to be fruitful in our life, but sometimes we don't know what the fruit is. I mean, is being fruitful, does, does it mean that, that you got more money than you used to have? Does being fruitful mean that you have more friends or that, you're, that you have more influence or that you have a better reputation or that you're respected? What, what does being fruitful really mean? I really think it's a huge part for us to understand when we're trying to figure out why bad things happen. When we're trying to figure out how we live in the midst of a fallen world, how we we try to figure out why catastrophes and heartache and brokenness come. Why were we even made? And Jesus tells us in John chapter 15 when he's talking to the disciples, he says to them, look, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. And here's how, here's how I'm going to know that you love me if you obey me. And here's what I want you to obey me with. I want you to love each other. You see, when Jesus is telling a parable about an unfruitful tree, and he's encouraging those listening to become fruitful people because they were created that way, what he's saying is you were created to love each other. Maybe you know the passage over in Matthew 25 that Jesus tells about what's gonna happen at the end of time, when, uh, when, when everyone on the earth will acknowledge his presence, when he gathers all the people who've ever lived into his presence. And, and he tells a story there using an image of sheep and goats. Now, I, And he says, you know, to them, hey, the sheep are gonna be on one side and the goats on the other. Now, I I understand that in our current culture, goat means greatest of all time. It does not mean that to Jesus, okay? To be the goat when Jesus is talking is to be the one upon whom you're being the blame rest. And so Jesus turns to those who are the sheep on one side of him, and he says, hey, enter into my presence, Come with me into eternity. Be in my presence for eternity. What I I want you to know is that that you are blessed because when I was was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they will look at him and say, Master, when, when did we ever see you like that? We never saw Jesus naked, we never saw Jesus hungry. I mean, he's the guy who made loaves and fishes for everybody, and he looks at him and says, when you saw the least of these, when you did it to the least of these, you saw me and you did it to me. And then he turns to those he calls goats, and he says, and you need to depart from me because you, you never, ever gave me anything to eat. And when I was thirsty, you never gave me anything to drink. And, and when I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was a stranger, you didn't welcome me in. You, you never visited me in prison. And they'll look at him and say, Lord, Lord, when, when did we see you like that? They weren't paying attention to the other crew. Because he says, again, when you did it to the least of these, when you failed to do it to the least of these. You failed to do it to me. And what Jesus is doing in Matthew 25 is he's saying, look, your fruitfulness has to have action. But what he's saying in John 15 is that your fruitfulness has to have attitude because fruitfulness For those of us who understand, we were created in the image of God. You were made by him. He made you for a purpose. He breathed his life into you. That life has to have an attitude, and it has to have an action. John tells us the attitude. Matthew gives us the story of the action. But the Apostle Paul, I love the Apostle Paul. He just kind of wraps it all up together. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, he says it like this but the fruit of the Spirit. Now I'm right, okay? Now I got it. I'm like a fig tree has no fruit. Now Paul's gonna tell me, here's the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, Paul says, there's no law. See, you were created to be fruitful. And I want us to be honest, when we look in our lives, would the people who know us say that we are marked by, but our life is marked by, what it means to be people who have an attitude that forms our action and that both the attitude and the action are couched in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control? I mean, those aren't things that you're supposed to try to go out and get, they're the things that are supposed to grow out of you. If you, if you have made a commitment to Jesus Christ, You're basically saying to him, hey, Jesus, I get it. You made me for a purpose, and I want to be a fruitful person. But let's be honest. Jesus is telling the parable because some of us are not producing much love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. He's telling the parable because some of us can pontificate about all kinds of ideas and we can read books and argue with each other and we can get on Twitter and we can get on Instagram and we can get anywhere we can in the digital world and we can tell everybody what we believe and the fact of the matter is they don't care until they know that there's fruit coming from your life. And so Jesus tells the parable. There was a man who owned a vineyard, he had a fig tree in it. And the fig tree should have produced fruit at the end of three years. But for three more years, he keeps going to it. For six years, it produces no fruit. And so he goes to the vine dresser and says, look, I've been coming and there's no fruit. And so I need need you, cut the tree down. Now here's where the story gets really interesting you hear The vine dresser. The guy who works the field, the guy who knows the nourishment, the guy who knows the vines, the guy who knows, he looks at him and says, hey, listen, I I, want to ask you to let me do something. I want to ask you to give it one more year. I want to ask you to, to let me try something. I want you to let me dig around the roots of it and put manure in it. Now, here's an interesting part to this story. While, while the story itself has its roots in, a, in a, a, a folk story that was very familiar to the people, no one that we can find who recorded anything about vineyards and fig trees and cultivating plants in the first century in Israel said anything about putting manure around a fig tree in order to make it produce fruit. There is absolutely no historic data for that. There is no other reference to it but in this parable. The people listening would have thought, are you crazy? You're gonna put manure around that? But I'll be honest with you, I I think it's one of the most beautiful analogies because you do know manure stinks, right? And you know where manure comes from. And some of you have already started filling in the blank of the other word our culture uses for manure. But the reality is, sometimes in order for you to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, you gotta come out from under a whole bunch of manure. And you're gonna come out smelly. And you're going to come out going, what in the world just ran over me? But until you've been covered in the dirt, you've been covered in manure, sometimes you don't really produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And it also is something, when I think about it, about what? What the vine dresser says is he saying to the, vine, to, to the owner of the vineyard, look, this tree is so barren. This tree is so unfruitful that I've got to do something drastic. I've got to do something unusual. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to say to the people then and to us now. Listen, on your own, you're never going to have a fruitful life. On your own, you're never gonna find the peace, the joy, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the self-control. You're on your own, you're never gonna be that. You, I don't care what your Enneagram says. I don't care about your personality type. What I'm talking to you about is your fruitfulness because Jesus lives in you. And so if you can imagine, this is kinda like Jesus saying to God, God look, I know they deserve to die. I know they deserve punishment. I know they deserve judgment. But the fact of the matter is, I want to try something different. I want to try something unusual. Listen, can I, can, can I come down as a baby in a manger? Can I grow up as a boy in a village? Can I become a, a rabbi, a teacher, a miracle worker, a healer? Can I become the Messiah? The Savior of the world. I'll, I'll listen, I'll, I'll let them take my body and beat it and hang it on a cross. I'll, I'll, I'll forgive them for what they're doing. And I'll go into to death itself and conquer death because I've conquered sin. You see, you want to be a fruitful person. You want to live the way you were created to live. Then somebody somewhere's got to do something unusual. Somebody somewhere's got to dig a pit around you, around your roots and let you go through some stuff and then they've got to say to you, "But it's okay. I love you." And that's exactly that's exactly what Jesus did for you. See? You were created to be fruitful. And God's mercy is extended to you throughout his faithful grace. That's why Jesus tells the parable. Jesus Jesus says, hey, look, you got to know that I'm willing to do something drastic, something unusual so that you can experience who I really am, who God really made you to be. And that's why the vine dresser said to the owner, "Could you give it one more year i know I know it's the last chance i i I'd really do, but but I know what's on the other side and 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 it's worth it. it It's worth it to take another year so master will you will you let me will you let me try this unusual thing? See this morning that's That's why I love this story. Many of us just read right past and don't understand. Because this is a story in which Jesus, once again, flips the script on the people. Because you see, they expected, they expected a different ending. What Jesus says is, you know what? I wanna do something unusual. And I'm gonna give you a choice of how you respond to this faithful grace. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you faithful grace. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it available to you. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it different because I'm gonna let you choose it. See, the story they grew up with, the story that was around the campfires in the village, it was the story of a fig tree and a vineyard and a vine dresser. But here's how it was different. The fig tree was planted next to water in the most fertile ground available. In the, in the place where, where we had, there was no excuse for there not to be fruit on this, on this fig tree. And when the owner came to that fig tree, the way the old folk story went was the folk tree, or the, or the story, the fig tree said to the owner of the land, Hey would you just give me one more chance? Would you just transplant me over to another setting? And then I'll grow fruit for you. I just kind of don't like it here by the river. Could could you just transplant me, put me somewhere else? And the story the people of Israel grew up hearing was a story in which the landowner looked at him and said, if you couldn't grow fruit by the river, what makes you think you're going to grow fruit anywhere else? I've given you everything, you've had every opportunity No, you're coming down And the end of that story Was that the fig tree was chopped down And died But the story Jesus tells Is one in which The master says To the vine dresser You know what Okay One more year one more season of time, one more opportunity. At the end of the year, no fruit, tree comes down. Can I tell you that you and I are living in the one more year? We're living in the one more year, no matter how many years it is. We're living in the season in which in which God has given us through Jesus Christ the opportunity to be who we were created to be not by our own might, not by our own power, but by his mercy, by his grace. And this morning, it occurs to me that that the real difference is, what do we choose? Remember what Jesus told the crowd about the people who were killed in the tabernacle or the temple and the people who were killed by the tower? He looked at them and and said, no, they didn't die because of their own sins. We are all, we're all guilty. And unless we repent, we will all perish. See, here's the difference. You've been given a choice and you have the choice as to how you respond to the faithful grace of God. So this morning, I just want to invite you to respond with a yes I just want you to to respond and say to Jesus you know what thank you for a last chance thank you for for pulling me out of all the stuff in my life thank you for the opportunity to show love grace and mercy if you're on campus with me I'm going to ask you to stand right now and if you're online with us I'm going to ask you to take just a moment and set aside whatever else you're doing if you're having breakfast put it aside you can microwave it later if you're driving your car I'm I'm literally going to ask you to consider pulling over to the side of the road as you listen because in the next few moments, you've got a choice. You've got a choice as to whether or not you will say yes to a God who loves you as much as Jesus does. And when you say yes to him, you've got to know, no judgment, no shame. Whatever, whatever you've been through, He's about to say, Welcome home. I love you. Let's worship together. you bow your head with me? Close your eyes. In just a moment, I'm I'm going to pray. But it occurs to me that there may be some of us here who today you've as I've talked, you've really struggled because you want to believe that what I'm saying is true, but you just can't quite yet take that step to say, "Hey, I really believe." that Jesus Christ did something unusual for me. And if you'd just like me to pray for you and with you as we close this service in prayer, I'm just gonna ask you, if you would, just to slip your hand up and say, hey, Pastor, would you pray for me that I can be fruitful, that I can serve Jesus all of my life? Wherever you are, balcony or main floor, Let's pray together. Papa, Papa, Heavenly Father, thank you that when you found us barren and broken, you did not shame and guilt us, but instead you gave us one last chance, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to be for us, but we could not be for ourselves to be the love, the grace, the mercy that we long for but we've never quite been willing or able to embrace and accept for my friends in this room for those who are watching us online or later this week on demand wherever they are whatever their circumstances my prayer for you my prayer to you for them is that Holy Spirit you would not leave them that you would continue to speak into their heart that you would continue to draw them to yourself and that you would do something they think is impossible but you would release them from their shame and their guilt through the blood of Jesus Christ that you would make them a new person, a a new woman a new man because of what Jesus did for all of us. For it's in his very strong name that we pray.